Davis asked me, it's Genesis the Word, Davis asked me to share something on evangelism with you this morning. Um, and so we've been talking through what would serve and what would be useful. So I want to take you to Acts. We're going through Acts at home. We, we are, I guess, a year into it. But I'm stealing something from a bit later on from where we've got to. So I'd like you, if you've got a Bible, would you be kind enough to turn to Acts chapter 17? And we're going to read about Paul in Athens. And I think there's some things in here that I hope will serve you. Uh, and will serve you in taking the gospel forward in your own lives and in this church as well. So uh, I'm going to read, if I can see it properly, which is not easy, even with specs. I'm going to read from verse 16 through to the end of the chapter. So let's go and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said... He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they may feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Pray, and let's go for it. Well, Father, I do pray this morning that you would give us grace. 
that as we look into this text, that you would re-speak it. That's what you delight to do. You use preaching to re-speak your word. Lord, may just something from this message affect us all in different ways today. Lord, may, may we be stirred in our faith. May we, in looking at this, recognize what you may be calling us to. Lord, we, we pray that this doesn't just fall into our head, but affects our heart. And in affecting our heart, may people come to know you as a result of this message this morning, we pray. Lord, in my weakness and need, help me. And I thank you, you do. You, you come, you, you are faithful. You are faithful to, to enable us to both speak and hear your word. So let it do its work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we've been through... Um, We've been through quite a change back home at Christ Church. The church was planted 18 years ago. Uh, it doesn't seem like that, but my gracious, 18 years ago, I was just a young lad, it seems. Um, 35, in fact. And we, we were in a church in another city. I was pastoring the church there, and that church and that movement of churches were going in a direction that just in good conscience I couldn't continue to go. And so we decided that we would step down. I would step down from ministry along with friends with me. Uh, we would leave the city because we didn't want to cause any difficulty and move to a new city. And so we left Cardiff and moved to Newport, and that was in 1995. Um, that, that's when you came. I think uh, a new mum and dad came, and, and you came. And we, we left Cardiff, went to another city, and started meeting there for those who wanted to come. And we wanted to build something. We wanted a church that we felt would reflect the gospel, all that Jesus was, all that Jesus is, all that the gospel means, that we'd be able to build it in without hindrance, without tradition that we'd been in, without, without <clears throat> doctrine that was taking us in a wrong direction. We wanted to build something that we thought truly reflected what God wanted in the church. And by the grace of God, to some degree, we've been able to do that. And... <clears throat> Then you look down the road to when we planted here. I think it's the same kind of thing. I remember Paso saying, you know, we, these, we need something in Sydney. We're, we're looking for something, what, what we're representing and what we're about. We need to plant a church here. And so that's where it all started. In some ways, looking at the same thing. Let's plant a church. Not, I mean, I'm sure there's loads of wonderful churches. I don't know. But let's plant a church that reflects the gospel in the way we see it, that, that works for people. Ten years in for us, there was quite a change. See, what we realized is that we had come together and we had built a church really for us. Something that we felt at home in. Something that we felt worked for us. A church where we could say, that doctrine, I'm good with it. church where you weren't struggling all the time thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm continually struggling. So it was like we built a home. We built, and it is a home and it has been a home. But about 10 years in, God started to stir things in us. And this is the main thing he stirred in us, that we didn't come for ourselves. We came for everybody who wasn't in that church, who wasn't in the building, who weren't in the kingdom of God. We weren't in Newport because we managed to create something where, oh, at least we built something that we're comfortable in. We were in Newport because... There were people in Newport that God wanted to reach with the gospel and from Newport with the gospel. And we started talking and started doing a series called Breaking Out of the Ghetto. And we realized that 
a lot of what we come for was a bit of a ghetto mentality. It was, we're, we're safe, we're comfortable, we're about building the gospel into us, we enjoy all the doctrine and these kind of things. But we weren't really impacting the city around where we live. Now, by the grace of God, that has changed to some degree. It's taken us years. That was eight years ago we started teaching that. But eight years on, when I look at the church now, we look at a church that very much is engaged with reaching the area where people are living, both in Newport and around. A church that, that its programs, its time, its money, its discussions is very much centered into getting out there and being involved with reaching the lost for Jesus. Do you know why we really came here? It wasn't to provide, my days here, it wasn't primarily to provide a kind of church where folk could say, I'm comfortable here. It was to bring the gospel, although others are preaching the gospel, to add a voice to that, to preach the gospel for those who didn't know him at all. And among such are some of you. And that scripture that I've just read, I think was quite helpful and important to us. And there are a number of things in there that if I look at now, I think, yeah, we've started to take on those things. We've started to We've seen those things built in. They're becoming more normal. So I want to open some of these things up, not because I think, oh, my gracious, you know, you guys need to, to do this. I, I'm just thrilled at what's taking place here. Uh, and Dave's talking to me, and not because Dave said, oh, man, we need to sort something out, but just to encourage you, I hope, in the way that you're going and to stir you in what this church really exists for, which is for everybody who's not sitting in this room today. So I've got seven points. I know seven points is like, it's a holy number, but you know, it's a lot. Some are a bit longer than others, some are shorter than others. That's what it means. So if I do one point, you think, my gracious, if there's seven of that length, I'm going home now. I've already been warned some people are going to be walking out on me, um, but not for that reason. Seven points that we look at in Paul here in Athens that I think has been helpful to us, and I hope to some degree it's helpful for you. Okay, let's go. Point number one. Point number one. Um, seeing the city, okay? It says here, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, and I don't have time for contextualization, I'm sorry, but, you know, this, this is Paul in the middle of his travels, and he's gone to Athens, and Athens is this incredible, intelligent city. It's the heart of the Greek uh, of thinking, of philosophy. It's bright. It's like Oxford or it's day or whatever you have here. Nowhere, really. You really do. It's Australia, so... Uh, listen, I, I don't mean to offend you. Oh, thanks for coming. Well, imagine a place where people learn, an intelligent place, okay, somewhere outside of Australia. That's what Athens is like. And, uh, and it says here, he saw that the city was full of idols. He, he, and that word saw is to perceive, to understand, to grasp. He goes to Athens, and it's not, oh man, there's loads of idols here. He is perceiving what is going on in the city in which he is. He saw the city. I think for us, we didn't see the city. We went to Newport because they didn't want us in Cardiff. But it took years for us to start to understand. We need to understand the nature of the city. We need to understand how it thinks, how it's functioning, what's going on, what's happening in the lives. And he sees it, and he sees that it is full of idols, and his spirit is provoked. Now, for him, it's literal idols. You know, deities made out of wood and stone and gold and silver or whatever. 
but he saw the idols and his spirit is provoked. I mean, let me define, because we can look at that and think, well, there's no idols in Sydney. But of course there are. Let me define an idol for you. Um, I think you could say it's the seeking of joy and satisfaction or fulfillment in something or someone other than God himself. Think of an idol that way. The seeking of joy and satisfaction, the seeking of, of fulfillment in something or someone other than God himself. That's an idol. When it becomes the source of the joy, it's, the, it's when it becomes, that's the absolute thing. That's where I'm going to find my happiness. That's where I'm going to find my contentment, my security, my identity. Whether it's something made of stone or whether it's, I don't know how many things. What are the idols? Because there's idols everywhere, whether it's in Newport or whether it's in Sydney. The effect on Paul is he's provoked at this and he saw the city for what it truly was. The result was compassion, just like Jesus, but in a different way. Jesus, when he saw they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, his, his, he had compassion on them, it says. So the question that we had to ask that I just want to provoke you in is, how do you see the city? Now, it's different here to it is at home. I'm at home, we have completely different idols in some ways. We're dealing with poverty. We're dealing with uh, so many different issues, which may not be as much here, but there's idols all the same. What are people trying to find their happiness in? What are people finding their fulfillment in? Things that may be good things, but it just becomes everything, and it, and it doesn't do the job. Are we provoked and moved by that? So I know sport is huge. Sport is great. But if people are living for it, it ain't going to deliver ultimately happiness. It's not going to deliver the fulfillment that God can only deliver through Jesus Christ in a relationship with him or academia or whatever it may be. Family. I, there's all the good things in life. Paul can look around and seize the city. And I wonder, I don't know your city. I know... And I've got to know my own. I've got to know what's happening and how people are thinking. What the genuine needs are. What the things that people are giving themselves to. Encourage you to do the same. This church should be in touch with fully and understanding as much as you can. Just what makes everybody tick around you. And it should move us to compassion. Man, they seem to have a great life. Yeah, but you know... Ultimately, it won't provide fulfillment. What are the idols? Secondly, you see that how quick I'm going to go? <laughs> Secondly, then he's moved to action. He doesn't just go, yeah, well, phew, mess out there. And look at these idols. This is a crazy place. And, you know, that's the British way, I'm sure. You know, we've talked about this before when I was with you. How do you know a plane load of pommies have landed? When the wine, you know, what is it? When the engine switched off, the whining continues, which I, I love that Australian joke. Um, and we can just sit around. We love to sit and just moan about the state of the country, the state of the city, and just complain and say it's just awful. Um, and what a bunch of wasters. And if they only knew Jesus, their life would be different. Anyway, what we have in fatigue kind of thing. And, and he is so affected, it causes him to do something. That was one of the things that started to get very exciting at home. Things started to change. Over a period of time, people started to get it and start to engage with people and think, 
What can I do to reach out? What can I do to affect people? And they were moved to action, and he is moved to action. So it says he reasoned with them. I'll come back to the reasoning in a minute, because I think that's such an important word. Compassion provoked him to a really urgent action. He didn't sit down and make uh, a thousand plans. He just got on with it. The city was full of idols, so so, so he got on with the job. And we realized that we, we really weren't spending a lot of time really engaging with unbelievers in many ways. And as we started to realize this is what God calls us to do, that has started to change. Not just grieving, but acting. And when we feel compassion for someone, that's what God wants us to do. To feel the weight of it. You know, you can look out and you can think, yeah, they're okay. People seem to be happy. They're doing all right. But when we see the reality of this is not going to last. One day, either in this life or in the one to come, they will stand before God. One day, this may crumble. But if it doesn't crumble in this this life, it will in the next. There is is a, a desire to say, you may even think you have it all, but, but there isn't. And the truth is, most people know what I'm giving my life to isn't really ultimately providing the joy, the satisfaction that I require. Whether it's marriage or children or career or whatever it is, good things, but it provokes him to action. He gets on with it. And something started to change with us. Programs changed. So our, our, which is just the same as this, uh, this thing here started to become full of, um, like you got here, more and more of these, the clubs and societies, more and more, this is going on, that's going on, this is going on, and you realize, okay, we're slowly starting to reach out and to engage with people. I think I would encourage you, with, with what you're already doing, keep thinking, okay, where, what is going on in this city and what do we have to do to be provoked to get out there? It's so easy to, to look in. Let's get this church right. And we realize that we can spend forever getting the church right. Let's really get the church right by taking the gospel out as much as we can. Thirdly, what you find with Paul is he's reaching out near and far. Look at this. So in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and devout persons. And then it goes on, and some said, what does the babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And these things are going on, and he keeps speaking, and the Athenians and different ones, the philosophers, the Stoics, the Jews, he's reaching out near and far. And then it's also in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. You've got two different things going on here. And I think these two things are vital for us. The first thing is he's reaching out near. Those, Paul went to those in particular that he could relate to. Those who were like him. Went to the synagogue, went to the Jews. He got how they ticked. They were the ones that were close to him. The devout persons, the philosophers. He went to his known territory, his own world. And he shared the gospel with them. I, 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 remember, I remember the week I became a Christian. I was 20 years old. It was 1,000 years ago. And, <clears throat> and I frequented a pub um, in Neath, where I was living at the time. 
And I remember, I remember the, the week I, I became a Christian, just spending every night in the pub, stopping everybody there in the pub, sit down, shut up, and listen to me. I've, I've got to tell you something. Je- Jesus, I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was affected by it. And I thought that that was the norm. I would that it were the norm in my life. But, but those people I knew, those people I was close to, boom, I could talk to them and I knew what to do. That's what he's doing here. Who am I specifically involved with in my life? What, what is my mission field? What is my world? What do I enjoy doing? Who do I hang with? And whoever you find yourself in with that, say you go to a gym. So you go here, so you go there. The people that are like you, the people that will talk to you, the people that you relate to normally, Paul is quick to go and say, let me talk to you. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Those who are near, and we've tried to do that at home more and more. So, so like we talk about the clubs and societies we might have set up, but even more so, get in there with those different people. Hang with them. If you're going to play golf, go and play golf and talk about Jesus. If you're going to do this, go and do this and draw those people in and look for opportunities. And that started to work. But not just those near, those distance as well. Every day in the marketplace, look at this, with those who happen to be there. And I think that's a challenge. Anyone who's prepared to listen, those far in that sense, he's looking for every and any opportunity to speak to anyone. And we can be frightened of this. Because there's, there's, you know, you take the first point, well, I need to build relationship. I need to get to know people before I can share Jesus with them. I've got to win them. And, and there's a truth in that. But you know what? Sometimes God's going to bring people your way. You don't know them at all. You sit next to them on a plane, if you go on planes. Or you're standing next to them in the supermarket. Or you're outside the the school gates and you're picking them up you haven't talked to this person and the next thing you know there's an opportunity and God has placed that opportunity as a divine appointment and there and then say can I ask you a question yeah um I'm a Christian I'd love to be able to talk to you about Jesus Christ would you mind it's just like (laughs) uh maybe they're just going (laughs) yeah get lost you nutter or do you know what? It's funny you should say that. Just this last week, I've been thinking, I'd love to know more. And suddenly you think, oh my gracious me. Maybe God is here in this. You look at Philip and the Ethiopian. That was another message I was thinking of bringing. It's, it's incredible. You know, he's out doing all this stuff and God says to him, uh, go into the desert and run after that chariot. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that happened. Did he hear? And so he's bombing after this chariot. And he gets up into the chariot, and there's some dude reading Isaiah 53. Can you explain this to me? He's just saying, okay, he, he left what he was doing because something instantly, something amazingly just took place, boom, in that moment. That's how I got saved. We, we were out. We were stoned the night before. We'd been sleeping out rough, which was our want. And we just said, do you know what? Let's, we, we know this guy, Dave. He's in this church. Let's go and get some food off him. And we wandered into this church. Nobody knew we were coming. It was, and that was on a Sunday. On the Wednesday... I was regenerated. Christ saved me because they shared the gospel with me. They, they didn't know. And the people who were sharing the gospel with me didn't even know who I was. But afterwards, they said, can we just tell you about Jesus? They're like, once you built a relationship with me, you can. No. It was like, yeah. Go on then. Give us, give us a laugh. And boom, God uses it to change my life. The gospel has power. And God will bring our way. God will bring our way. 
I was thinking this, I was, I was in the place where I was staying and I was talking to a guy yesterday um, <clears throat> and he said, oh, I'm not going to play golf, look at this weather. I said, oh man, if you don't play golf in this weather at home, you never play golf. And we started, you know, what's the matter with you, you big, you big Australian wuss? Get out there and play golf. Um, and uh, we, we just started, you know, just started talking. He said, oh, my name's Pete. I said, yes, yeah, so is mine. He said, well, and he just, I think he was thinking, no, nah, this guy's not right. Um, and we just, we, we started talking a bit. And he said, what are you doing here? And that's my point. It's just like, um, working. Okay, here's my opportunity. This guy's sitting there. He's, he's in the foyer. We're both going to go up in the lift. And I'm thinking, has God set this up? So I just tell him what I'm doing here or what it's about. And, uh, and at the end of it, we were talking. And he said, oh, well, maybe we'll catch up again while you're here. And you can fill me in a bit more about what you believe and everything. I thought, okay, love to. So I know his room and... He's in, he lives there, and he said, well, uh, you know, let's try and do this. So I, I, I may catch him this afternoon. I don't know what will come of that, but I'm starting to learn that God sets these things up. Um, I'll reach out to those people near to me. I want to build relationships. I want to be involved in the world, see the city, know those people. But I want to look for opportunities where God says, go run after that chariot. Um, because he's been preparing the Ethiopian for that very moment. And do you know what? I think when we're ready to go, yeah, okay, I'll talk to you about this, then it'll happen more and more because God knows we're going to do it. So that's what Paul is doing. We can be fearful of this. I mean, I understand this, but let's pray for these opportunities. Let's look out for them. Let's expect them. This church exists for those people that God is, I believe, preparing, that God is calling and that God wants you, in preaching the gospel, to share it with us simply, to go boom. And then that is the, the power of God to salvation, and it depends on us. Fourthly, what you have is the risk of rejection as well. It wasn't all smooth. It wasn't all simple. You know, it's not like, oh, every, you know, I've done that. So somebody said to me, so what are you doing? So where do you go on Sundays? And I say, oh, church, can I tell you about Jesus? And they said, get lost, or I'm going to, you know. And they nutted me or something. That's more Newport. Yeah, just the Glasgow kiss. Um, but it, it doesn't always go smoothly. But hey, we're Christians. Life, it's not meant to go smoothly all the time. But he's prepared to take the risk of rejection. Some mocked him, it says here. Some said, this, he's a babbler. What does this babbler wish to say? Others you know, rejected him and dissed him. And, and folks prepare to be rejected. We've just got to, we've got to get over ourselves a bit. That's the main thing. It's just like, oh, my love cup. <laughs> what, if, what if I say to him, I'm a Christian, you want to know about Jesus? And he goes, no, you kind of Christian freak. Oh, I'm going to feel so bad for days. It's just like, oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. <laughs> we follow a crucified Savior who set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we may be rejected. And do you know what? That day, that Sunday, I went to that, and met those guys in that church and went in the afternoon, and this guy gave me this little tract, Journey into Life, and told me about Jesus. I told him he was an idiot. I said, they were all a bunch of freaks, and I walked out. Sunday. Wednesday, I got it. I saw it. I realized Jesus died for my sins. I was undone. But the Sunday night, 
I'd have walked out and they'd have probably gone, well, that was a bit embarrassing. It was a bit difficult. I don't think he's going to be your mate anymore. But that wasn't the case. We've got to be prepared. Sometimes to be mocked. Sometimes to be dissed. You know, you talk to some folk and, and they say, you know, I work in a place nobody even knows I'm a Christian. I think, well, what do I do about that? So you go in tomorrow morning, call them all together and say, can I just have your attention a moment? I'm a Christian. But what will they think of me? It doesn't matter. It's not the point. But some, it says, conversed with him. Some wanted to know more. They wanted to know more about what the gospel. They wanted to know more about Jesus. You may be sitting here today. You're sitting here today. You, you're not a Christian. You've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you know that. But you're sitting here today, why? Because someone's talked to you at some point, you think, I want to know more. I, I want to know what this is about. I want to have a look at this. I want to see the reality of this. And if that's the case, thank you for being here. I don't know. Thanks for being here. Here's the good news. God created you. God has a purpose for you. You are not just an accident that's going to end and finish. Life is not just about what happens in this life. There is something beyond that. And God's purpose for you was that you might know him, worship him, love him, be satisfied only by him. But the problem is you, just like me and everybody else says, we can do it fine without you and go our own way. And yet God, loving us so much that even if he should say, for that you deserve to die, he says, I love you so much, he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, so that on the cross, he can take the punishment you deserve for saying, I can get on all right without you. And then he rose him from the dead. And here we are today. He's ascended into heaven, and he offers free forgiveness. That's the joy. That's the thing here. If you're sitting here thinking, what's this about? Here's what it's about. Um, you need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven, not just for all the bad things you think you've done, you need to be forgiven because just the same as everybody else has ever lived, we live without God. And here's the good news. He forgives you in Christ. What do you have to do? Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Turn around and say, I can't save myself. You've got to do it. There's something missing. There's, I am empty. I recognize. I try. There are idols. There are things I give myself to, but they don't satisfy. I need to be satisfied. I need to know my purpose, I need to know who I am, I need to know what my life is about. And I, I begin to believe that Jesus was real and he did die. Did he die for me? Yes. How do I know that? How do I know he died for you? Receive him as your Lord and Savior, you'll know he died for you. That's the good news. And if we go telling people that, some will reject us. Some will go, thank you very much, I don't want to be your friend anymore. But others will say, I want to know more. I want to stir myself in this. I want to stir myself in this. Fifthly, he makes the connection. See the wisdom of Paul in preparing the ground for the gospel. It's just, it's fantastic. So Paul, standing, verse 22, in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And he meets them where they are. He, he understands the way philosophers think, and he makes the connection from the, 
from where they're at all the way to where the gospel comes in. He knows how to talk to them. He knows how they think. He knows what they struggle with. He knows exactly where to meet them in order to get them to the place of the gospel. There's a wisdom there. So when we engage with people, this guy I'm talking to in the hotel, if I engage with him, it's not just simply, okay, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Right, five points. God, man, sin, redemption, uh, uh, repentance, okay? Let's start. Now, that's the gospel, and we'll get there. But where are we going to start? Well, we're going to start on golf. And then we're going to talk about golf, and then we're going to find out a bit about his life, and then we're going to ask a few more things. We're going to say, you know, how much I enjoy golf, how much you enjoy golf. Yeah, but you know, it lets you down, doesn't it? And you, you know, you have a great day, and it's great, you have a bad day, and it's bad, it's just like life. And before you know it, we're talking, and that's the way we want to talk. And then you say, do you know what, there's something better. And from there, you go into, this is what's better. It's golf. But he was smart. We need to be smart. I'm afraid that the church is not smart sometimes. And we think we just proclaim, but you must engage and then proclaim. It's not enough to say Christians are just called to proclaim. They're also called to engage. Look at Jesus and look at your Bible and look at Paul here. He meets them in ways that they would understand, language and thoughts that they're familiar with. He uses their own poets. He doesn't just give them the gospel. He reasons with them. And we're called to do that, particularly in today's world. It, 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 God wants us to reason with people. If they're, you know, the things that they struggle with, well, and we were talking about this yesterday, a few days ago. People struggle with the idea of how can the God you worship, who wrote this Bible, say in the Old Testament that uh, if a child is rebellious, they should be stoned. You've got to be able to engage people in conversation with that. You think, what would you say? I don't know what I'd say. Are you sure it's in the Bible? I can't imagine God stoning people. Well, yes, it is, but we've got to understand that. And that's the kind of new atheist in the way that they're thinking and what they're saying. How do you engage with Genesis and understand that? How do you engage with Revelation and understand that? People want to be able to be reasoned with. That's why I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller has been leading the way in a lot of this, in helping us. The Reason for God's a great book up there. I think you've got, have you got it? I think you have. Um, <clears throat> and the way he is getting with people and talking to them from where they're thinking, the, the ways that they're struggling, the, the reasoning that understands the mindset, the questions, the hopes, the fears, the ambitions, and the needs of those who we speak with. Uh, Christians are called to be intelligent in engaging with the world in order to bring the gospel to them. So how do people think today? How do people think in this city? What are their felt needs? I think a lot of people, and probably in this city, as much as anywhere, isolation, loneliness, these are some of the challenges, lack of meaning and purpose, hopelessness at times, distraction, just fill my life with other things so I don't have to really stop and think about what's the point of it all pointlessness. And he talks about here how people might feel their way towards him. Isn't that interesting? God will use Paul in order to help people almost feel their way through some of these things where God can bring the gospel and change them. 
I think God's calling us more and more to be smart. It's different to 100 years ago, folks. 100 years ago, death was more common, particularly in the young. And we've just lost a, a 32, 33-year-old brother of Dave and I who worked with us, and it shot the church. It's just shot the church, and it shocked a whole generation who never even think of death, never even think that it could happen to them. It happened in a week, Dan died. And, but 100 years ago, that was normal. So there was a general belief and fear of God. There was a belief in heaven and hell, and you could just get up and say, you need to get right with God or face hell. Now people say, I don't believe there's a hell. I don't believe there's a punishment. And you can't say, but there is. You've got to say, okay, well, why don't you believe that? And why do I believe that? And, and let me try and explain to you and look to you. And, and imagine this. Imagine, you know, you say, imagine hell is being without God. Well, that would be fine. Okay, but without anything. Imagine this, that you die and you are aware. But... You're aware of yourself, but you, can, you have no senses because you have no body. It's not even black because you have no eyes. It's, it's just your awareness, and there's nothing. There is no God. Imagine that for a minute. For how long? Eternity. So you're having to engage with people. Say, well, do you, are you convinced that when you die, that you will cease to exist? And if you don't cease to exist, you know, even the old picture of hell with a devil, with a, the fires and prodding you with a fork is better than nothingness. What do you imagine? Now, I'm not saying the Bible teaches nothingness, but, but we have to engage people so they start to go, all right, okay, I, I need to think about this and intelligently talk through that stuff. From felt need to real need, and that's the last one, finally, the real need, the felt need is where we connect with people. They don't know their real need. The real need is you are separated from God. Your life does not just consist of the years in which you live. When you die, you will stand before that God who created you. You will give an account and what are you going to say? Because you can't say, well, I wasn't as bad as that guy. <clears throat> you will give an account of the life you've lived apart from him, which we all will do. Get to the point. What is the point? Nothing up to this point has been evangelism. Evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of God, as we said before. God created man. God created you. God created you in his image. God created you to love him, to worship him, to be satisfied in him. But you, like me, have tried to find that elsewhere. You owe God big time. You can't pay the debt, but God sent his son to die for you. And if you receive him, trust in him, believe he died for you, turn around and make him your Lord and Savior, his death will become your death, and his life will be given to you. You will be forgiven received and accepted and on that day when you stand before him the question won't be how did you live the question will be what did he do he died for me end of story that's the glory of it we get to the point of the gospel i want to get there my intention is to engage with someone and if i'm able to talk to this guy again this afternoon the intention is to get to the point so he knows mate 
This is the reality of your life. Here is your greatest need. Your felt need, maybe I'm lonely. He's obviously living on his own. That, he's, you know, he's, he's talking to people who just come into the hotel. He's living there, but he's talking to people because he's probably lonely. He's, he's going to play golf, and he's trying to find someone to play golf with. There's so many things you can connect. But here's his real need, the real one. You will stand before God, and you won't have a leg to stand on. But God has provided an answer for you in Jesus Christ, not only for then, but for now, mate. For now, you can find what it means to really have a purpose and a meaning in Christ alone for what God created you for. We've got to move to the gospel. It's not just the job of professional evangelists, folks. Learn, if you can, how to preach the gospel. The gospel, it's, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a bomb, man. It's like a sticky bomb, Band of Brothers, or is it something like that where they, they, made, they, <clears throat> they tried to blow up the tanks? Or was it Saving Private Ryan? It was, wasn't it? And they, I love this thing, Saving Private Ryan. And, and, you know, they put the hand grenades in the socks. They took off the socks and put grease all over them and pulled the pins out and stuck them onto the tanks. And the tanks are going down the road with these greasy, what they call sticky bombs. Sooner or later, the sticky bomb's going to go off. Boom. I want to get the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I don't know, only the Holy Spirit can explode that thing. Only he can detonate it. But I tell you what I want to do. Before I leave this guy, I want to stick the sticky bomb on him. I, I do. And it's just like, bye now. <laughs> Be, because biblically and experientially, I know it is the power of God. These guys, these guys, the scumbags, they did it to me. I'm sitting in there, a bunch of freaks. I don't mean that. It's a joke, okay? I thank God for them. I, I would say. But, but. God set it up. He's worked it all out. It's a divine setup. I end up in this place, and this isn't just my story, and maybe your story is completely different. Maybe you just grow to an awareness of God and grew up in the church. That's just as cool. Maybe I didn't have a boom moment sticky bomb. I know, but there, the sticky bomb's still there. And I want to put the sticky bomb on this guy, just like they did with me, and I walk away going, that's the last time I'm going with those freaks. Little did I know, Wednesday, driving down the road, <laughs> boom! Detonated. Pull over to the side, weeping, broken. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. If it had only been me, Jesus died for me. I ring up Dave, this guy, who I called an idiot just three days ago. I said, something's happened to me. I don't know what it is. All I know of this is Jesus. And he died for me. He knew what had happened. He's high-fiving his mates. The sticky bomb's just gone off. <laughs> and it's great. Isn't it sweet? Isn't it sweet? And we start to see it more and more in the church. And it's so funny. So, so you know, and even with the Christianity Explored, that's why Christianity Explored is so great. And people come. And people just come, sit all the way through it and just go, thanks very much. Anything like that. And some, nothing happens. They come onto another one, nothing happens. They're covered in sticky bombs. None of them's going off. <laughs> None of them's going off. But you know what? That's not our job. Only God detonates. We just go, here's the gospel. Can't make this happen. The Holy Spirit regenerates. God makes alive in Christ whom he chooses. But we will put as many on as we can. 
and we will get close enough through understanding people, through talking to them. You, gotta, you can't throw a sticky bomb, okay? Stick with my metaphor. You can't, you can't throw it. If you throw it, it drops off. You have to get close and place it. To get close, you've got to be able to engage, to understand, to talk, to win, to take an interest, to, to be prepared to be rejected if need be. But you can't throw it, and that's what evangelicals do. We stand at a distance and we throw the gospel saying, I've done my job. No, you haven't. But we've got to make sure it is the gospel. Winning is not enough. Winning is vital, but it's this glorious gospel. So I just want to encourage you. We haven't got it all sorted at home, honestly. We, but we're starting to see change. And I can see change in my own life and in my family's life. I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see passions changing and faith rising up and a sense of, wow. And then you start to see people wonderfully saved and then they bring their friends and they start to get saved and you go, wow. I see God at work here. This is great. It's wonderful to see God at work in, in this church. I hope if we can get back next year, there'll be people sitting here, I know there will be, who the gospel has just broken into the heart, their lives have changed. Uh, because you have done this without fear of rejection. You've seen the city. You've understood it. You've started to relate to it. You've started to get close to people. You've reached out to people close to you. You've spoken to people that just come your way out the blue. And in doing that, the gospel has started to affect people and their lives have changed. That's what it's all about. That's why Sovereign Grace Church Sydney ultimately exists. It exists for that day. And it exists for this city for that day. So let's pray and I'll shut up. Well, Father, thank you. Lord, for those of us who know you, thank you for the gospel that saved us. Thank you that someone, be it a parent or a friend or an acquaintance or a stranger, someone told us about Jesus. Someone told us what he had done for us. The gospel broke into our lives, whether it was slowly over a period of time or instantly, you have saved us and you have changed us. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray firstly for anyone in this room who doesn't yet know you. Lord, may the truth of your gospel pierce their heart today. May you detonate that and may they say, this I want, you I want, and I turn to you. And Lord, may this church create a culture and a lifestyle more and more of faith in the power of the gospel and wisdom in its application to a lost and hurting world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.